0: Well, thank you, Sam, for those overflattering comments. And I'm sorry. You didn't mention about me being late for lectures and things like that. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about, well, what you see on the screen there. We'll just, that that's, comes a little bit later. But eventually, I shall talk about the pattern which you see in the front of a building, the paving there, and uh, I want to explain how that came about and what it's all about. But uh, before getting to that... I want to make some more general comments, first about crystal symmetries <coughs> and then about non-crystal symmetries. So these things are, I assume, very familiar to people. That you can have a, s- a plain pattern uh, which is s- has a translational symmetry. So you can slide it along in some way and it's the same as it was before. And in addition to that, has some rotational symmetry. Now, there's a theorem, a very ancient theorem, I think which the only rotational symmetries you can have will be twofold, threefold, fourfold, and sixfold. And just to illustrate those different symmetries, we have them here. If you have a parallelogram and a pattern of them arranged like this, then about the center of that, you're going to have a a twofold symmetry, rotation through 180 degrees, sends it into itself. Uh, Equilateral triangles, again, take the center of one of the triangles, then you can rotate the whole pattern into itself 120 degrees, so it's three times and you're back to where you start. Fourfold, the very familiar square pattern, and sixfold hexagons. Now these are all very familiar. Why are they they the only ones? Well, there are various ways you can prove that. Uh, One of the simplest is as follows. Let me just get this stuff working here. Suppose you have some pattern which has both a rotational symmetry and a translational symmetry, and we'll suppose they're discrete points which don't sort of crowd in uh, infinitesimally close to each other, something like that. So we'll have a a set of points on the plane, and I'm going to suppose that I've found a point about which the pattern has a symmetry which is uh, one of these symmetries. So n is the it's an n-fold symmetry, so if you rotate through 360 degrees over n, the pattern will go into itself. So that's a point in the plane with that, that property. And here's another one, and I'm going to choose those as close as possible. So let's uh, find somewhere where I find two such symmetry points. If there's one, there's going to be another because it's got a translational symmetry, so you move this along somewhere. And there'll be another point about which it has rotational symmetry and we're going to find two which are as close as they can be. Now, I rotate this one about that one by the symmetry, 360 over n, and then that, since the pattern is the same when you rotate through that, that also must be an n-fold symmetry point. Then I look at this one and I rotate in the opposite direction, this one, and so that one must be an n-fold symmetry point, and you'll see those are closer together, which contradicts these two being as close as possible, With the only exceptions being, well, maybe they're not closer together, which would be the case if n equals 2, then of course they're not. n equals 3, they're not either. n equals 4, they're exactly the same distance. n equals 6, you get away with it because they coincide. And so those are the only possibilities. If you uh, have n equals 5, you can see they're obviously closer here. If n were larger than 6, they'd cross over, but they'd still be closer together. It'd be more like that picture. Okay, so that's the proof. Really very simple, not much. uh, You can understand that pretty reasonably, I hope. Now, what about this pattern? (laughs) Well, it has a look as though it's both symmetrical in the sense you translate it and it goes into itself. And five-fold rotational symmetries. A lot of these stars, pentagons, and things like that. In fact both those statements are almost true. So this pattern could be extended to infinity and I'll show you the way you can do that. Extended to infinity and we have the property that if you give me any percentage less than 100%, say 99.9%, then I would be able to find a way of sliding that pattern along itself, a translational symmetry, so that it goes into itself to 99.9%, that is to say Of the line segments, 99.9 of them would be in exactly the same place as before and only uh, 1% would be different. And you might say, no, no, I want it better than that. How about 99.99%? So I say, okay, yeah, I can do that too. And I find another translation and it will agree to 99.9%. And also I should say rotation. I can find points about which it will rotate and the symmetry in the first case would have been 99.9%. Uh, percent, 99%, second, 99.9%, and you might say, well, no, no, I meant 99.999999, whatever you like. There will be a translation and a rotation of this pattern, fivefold rotational symmetry and a translational symmetry to that precision. So it's almost in that sense. Never quite exactly 100%, but anything slightly short of 100%, yes, you can find, find it. Well, now you might go back to the original argument and say, well, what goes wrong with the argument? Let's take it so that we're looking at uh, not exactly symmetric points, but we're looking at points which are, uh, has the symmetry to 99.9% or something. The thing is that if those are 99.9% points, these ones are likely to lose just a little bit of symmetry. Cuz this one's only 90.9, 99.9, that'll probably be 99.8 around. So you lose just slight, slightly, they'll get me closer but you'll have lost just a little bit of the symmetry, the, the precision. The precision will be slightly less, and you keep doing that, and of course, by the time you've got down to the size of the pentagons here, you will have lost uh, all, all the precision. So you can see that it slips through the proof. That's one and it got a nice illustration, is why when you give a proof of something, you really mean what you say. It's got to be, the statement has to be exactly what you say. The, if it's only approximately, you may find that there are loopholes and this is a good example of that. Now let me tell you how this pattern is constructed. It's very simple in principle. Let's take a regular pentagon and what I'm going to do is I'm going to subdivide that pentagon into six smaller ones which almost fill it. So I can find out where this one is by joining those two points if you like and that tells you where that line is. So if I join non-adjacent points, I can see where that central pentagon is and then I join those and I can find those lines and so on. So I find that there are six regular pentagons which almost fill that pentagon. Now what I'm going to do is to blow this up to the scale so that this one in the middle is now the same scale as that one and then do it again. Blow it up, do it again. Okay? Now if I... Yes, here we are. If I do that here to this picture, then this pentagon, that's the big pentagon that was that one. And that pentagon there was that one. Uh, Where are we, that one, say? And then I subdivide these ones. And you see there's a little gap in the middle there, which is a bit of a nuisance. Never mind, we're almost there. but what I'm going to do now is imagine that we've subdivided again and then this one will be subdivided so there'll be a little triangle pointing in there, a little triangle pointing out there and I'll have a sort of spiky rhombus the next time around and it'll look like that. So this is the this big pentagon there, well it's but it's almost off the picture here, but say that one there has now become this one and so on. And there's my spiky rhombus in the middle And I find that there's exactly room for another one of these pentagons down there. I still have two gaps, this, uh, well, I call that a pentacle. If the lines had gone through each other, it's what people call a pentagram. But this is a pentacle, it goes in and out like that, okay, it's a star shape. And the other one, well, I call that a a jester's cap. I think that's (laughs) one way of describing it. There's the jester, if you like, okay. Okay, so we're gonna keep doing that, blow it up again. The next time, the pentacle will go little spikes like that. And the nice thing about it is that I can always just find room for pentagons. You see, if I take the pentacle and I put the spikes on, the the next stage where I subdivide all these, there's little spikes sticking out there, I have another pentacle in the middle and three, five more jesters' caps, and with the jesters' cap here, the other way up. But never mind, it's that jesters' cap there. I find three pentagons, one pentacle, and th- three jesters' caps, and with the rhombus, one pentagon, one pentacle, and one jesters' cap. So I don't have any new shapes. So each time I can blow it up and subdivide the ones I had before according to this pattern. There's only one little thing that might worry you here, at least might not, but uh, (laughs) it's more likely to worry you, I think, if you, you you know, mathematicians like to worry about things like this when they don't need to. (laughs) There's an ambiguity here. You see, this could have been done the other way up. And you say, well, okay, do it one way or the other. No, I'm going to be, I have a rule which makes precise which way I do that. And what is that rule? Well, I'm going to adopt the following rule. Looks a bit funny here. I'm just telling you this, but it's not hard to see. But wherever you find one of these spiky rhombuses, that pentagon, either on one side or there, or that rhombus, I should say, spiky rhombus, one side or the other, you will find this pattern. And this pattern, you look over there and see where that one is. If it's not on this side, you'll find it on the other side. And then there's a little rhombus in the middle. And the argument is that whichever way we do this, is governed by where that pentagon is. So you take a symmetry about the major um, transverse, what do you call it, diagonal of this rhombus here and this thing flips over a mirror symmetry about that and that tells you where that pentagon goes. So if this one is down there that one's down, if it were up there that one would be up. That's the correct rule, that one's wrong. Now why didn't I say this is the correct rule and that one's wrong? Well. There's a good reason for that. That is that next time, when I subdivide, the thing in the middle is going to be ambiguous, depending on which way you look. Whereas if you take this rule, it's consistent all the way through. Okay. Well, that's what you do. And if you do that, you get a pattern like this. Well, let's do it. Okay, I'm going to start with a nice big pentagon there. And then I'm going to... Subdivide that, according to the rules I've just been giving you. Can you turn the volume up, please? Uh, Is that, do I just shout or is there a way of doing it with? (laughs) 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 Oh, it's down there. (laughs) Oh, another one. It's not going to interfere with the other one. It It makes awful squawks and things like that. Good. If it squawks, I'll, I'll hurriedly take one out of the pocket. Can you hear me now? good. Okay, so that's the pentagon before. I subdivide that. There we go. Just according to the rules I was giving you. And then I subdivide that. There we go. Now you see there would have been this little ambiguity possibly here because there's that rhombus. And I look to see Where should I put the pentagon? Well, I look around and I say there is that pattern of pentagons which I warned you you would be able to find. And I look at that, that one's over there. has to be there, and therefore this one's down there. Okay, so that's satisfying the rules. Uh, And then next time, do it once more and I get the pattern that we had before. Okay? So that tells you how it's built. It's got a hierarchical construction. I'm going to whip those away, and just to confuse you a bit, I'm turning it upside down. Now, where was that original big pentagon? It's not so easy to find. In fact, each time I have to figure it out all over again. (laughs) The point about this is that it has a uniformity that's not so obviously hierarchical. It does have a hierarchical construction, but it's really something much more regular than that. It has a highly regular structure, and the hierarchical nature is not at all obvious. In fact, it has various properties. Uh, I'll point out a few of these. For example, you see here, you have a regular decagon, ten-sided figure. There's another one. And every time when you find one of these regular decagons, it's always subdivided in the same way, three pentagons, two rhombuses, and one pentacle, uh, one uh, jester's cap. Okay, and every time you find one of these, it's always surrounded by a ring of ten pentagons. There yeah, are. Here's another one. Always a ring of ten pentagons, wherever it is. Sometimes these things overlap, like here. You've got two of them overlapping, another one there. Whenever that happens, you still find your ring of ten pentagons. They just go quite happily through each other. And uh, it has that very nice property. Other things which are very evident to me just when I stand here is that if I take any line on the picture, I can put a ruler against it, say, any line in the picture, it will keep on going right across the picture with uh, the same density of, uh, of lines all the way up. So if you imagine you were, suppose you had a field of corn and there was one growing at each point, vertex of this pattern, and you drive past in the car and you look at it, they'll all line up at some point and then they'll all line up again. You say, oh, that's a nice regular pattern. Well, it's one of these things, maybe i' you'd be lucky <laughs> lucky to find a farmer who'd do that, but never mind. Anyway I just wanted to indicate that there is a lot of structure there's a lot of lot of there are a lot of features which are not at all evident from the hierarchical construction and for example now we have this uh, ten sided one in the middle here with its ring of pentagons but in this case you also find right the way around it a nice ring where you have Rhombus, pentagon, rhombus, pentagon, rhombus, pentagon, all the way around. Ten ten rhombuses and pentagons alternating. And you'll find those all over the place. Okay. Now, I want to say something else about these patterns. And that is, there was a a problem originally to do with tiling plane with squares, with coloured edges, and you had different squares with different arrangements of colors, and you had to match the colors. And the question that was raised by a Chinese-American mathematician called Hai Wang, could you find a computer program which will answer yes or no, given the sets of colorings, finite set of these squares, yes or no, can you tile the entire plane with these colored squares? And he came to the conclusion that yes, there would be an algorithm for doing that, a computer program for doing that, if it were the case that for any set of colored squares, if it did tile a plane, you could be sure that it would tile a plane in a periodic way. Well, his student, Robert Berger, thought about this problem and uh, eventually proved that there was no computer program for solving the uh, tiling problem of this kind. And therefore, as part of his argument, in fact, he produced a set of, I think it was originally uh, 20,000, uh, um, 426 different colored squares. Uh, h- he then got it down to about 100, and then Raphael Robinson got it down to about 6. And he had a way of making it into a jigsaw puzzle, rather badly drawn here, but that's what it is. You can see the squares on this piece of paper, but that's not got the de- designs on them. You have to fit these together and the only way you can do it is non-periodically. So that was, uh, made it consistent that there was no computer program for solving the tiling problem with these colored squares uh, and the fact that uh, there are uh, shapes which <coughs> will tile only non-periodically. Well, I was visited in the old mathematical institute by an American mathematician, Simon Cochin, and he was describing these things to me. And he said that Raphael Robinson was somebody who liked to get the number down as as small as possible. And so he told me there were six. And I said, well, I I think I can do it with five. (laughs) Uh, And my five looked completely different from his. In fact, what I was actually doing was with six. Now, those six, you see, are actually the same, basically, as this pattern. However, the pentagons are divided into three classes, depending upon, well, as with this one, we have the pentagon surrounded by five others. Here we have it only three, and here we have, uh, where's another one, only two here. So either two, three, or five, and I'm going to make those different, and then I make it into a jigsaw puzzle, where these are the, that's the five, that's the the three, and that's the two one. And just to show you what's going on, I'll color these so that uh, the five one is the the orange one, and uh, you can see what goes on. Here we go. But you see, that's still six, like Raphael Robinson, six. But But there you are. So if you imagine the colored ones are different and they have a matching rule according to those little knobs and notches which I just showed you, uh, then the point is that you force that kind of pattern which I've been describing. It does have this hierarchical arrangement, but I'm not saying do it that way. I'm saying do it any way you can where you make the notches and the knobs fit together. And uh, the only way you can do it is in the sort of arrangement which I just showed you. Now, uh, I... The reason I said I thought I could do it with four, you see, if you look at these tiles, you see that uh, there's this little funny star-shaped thing there and two of them on here, and there's only one little place where you have a a slot for them to go into, and that's this one. So you cut this one out and glue it to that, take another two versions of this, glue it on here and here, and you don't need that one. So you could do it with five. So I went home, and then I started thinking about this, cutting up and seeing whether I could improve on that, And I got it down to four, and I I was quite pleased with that. (laughs) And then I got it down to two, and I wasn't wasn't so pleased. Now, why wasn't I so pleased? I think the reason that I wasn't so pleased was I thought, God, this is so easy. It must have been known to people. I think that's why I thought that, but I do remember being disappointed when it came down to two. I'd rather like my set of four, but uh, the set of two I originally hit on is shown in this picture here. Where we have, well, it's kites and darts. Here we have the kite, and here we have the dart. And those are the only two. And I have a rule where they have to, they've got corners which are either colored black or white. And you have to match the corners. You can do this with knobs and notches if you like. Make a jigsaw puzzle out of it. Well, I'll show you one in a minute. Uh, And each one of the kites, you have to put lines on in the appropriate way, and each dart you do as well. And I've done that on this side, on the right-hand side. And you will see that it brings out the pattern we just had before with the pentagons. It's just they assemble to make the pentagons and the the dotted ones, the shaded ones, make either the rhombus here or the jester's cap here or the pentacle over there. And that is the pattern we just had before. And uh, you can see that if I, do it right. And I'm not quite sure which one I need, but let's try that. And uh, probably it's this orange one. Let's try that one. Yeah, I think that's it. So you can see they're really the same kind of pattern, but the kites and darts are done in a way that you don't need so many uh, different tiles, that's all. Now, you can also modify them, as I say, to make a jigsaw puzzle-type arrangement. And uh, here's one which is sort of influenced by Escher to some degree, where there are two birds, the big bird and the little bird, and the only way you can assemble them as a jigsaw puzzle is in an arrangement like this, which never repeats itself. And uh, you can then go back and see how that ties in with the, uh, these ones. Well, I hope I can. Um, It wasn't designed to fit this transparency, but I managed to find a place where they fit. And there, I think you can see, the big birds are the kites, and the little birds are the darts. And that's all they are, but it makes a nice jigsaw puzzle. Okay. Now, you can also do two in another way, which are actually more commonly used, it turns out, because they're just rhombuses. And uh, the coloring I've got here is you have to match those colors, and it forces this non-periodic arrangement, which I've just been showing you. And what you get, I'll start off by relating it to the kites and darts. There you are. So each, uh, each dart is drawn, you have the same lines drawn on in each the same way, and you end up with this pattern of rhombuses. Now, this pattern has been used in all sorts of places. I'll show you some places where it has been used, but often just like this. And I always thought that was a bit disappointing because you don't know why the pattern is like that. You think, well, there are lots of ways of doing rhombuses. You could just make them regular patterns, so why do you do them like this? And it, it's, you might be saying, well, that's what you're supposed to do, but that's not good enough, is it? But if you have the matching rules, like here then it does force that type of arrangement. I guess there are a few things I should say about this. One is, okay, I it, it forces it, but uh, are there more than one way of doing it? Is there more than one way of doing it? Well, it depends. There's, the answer is both. <laughs> it's unique, and there's uh, I- infinitely many different ways of doing it. In fact, two to the aleph naught... <laughs> the number of points there are on the, on the real line, two to the L-F naught number of different ways of doing it. But they're all the same in a certain sense. If you were given two of these patterns and you wanted to see whether they were the same or different and you could only examine a finite portion, you would never tell. Because any finite portion in one of them will appear in the other one infinitely many times. So f- as far as finite arrangements are concerned, uh, they're identical. The only differences are way out at infinity, and that's quite a subtle thing. Well, uh, let me not go into the subtleties of that, but it is the case that, strictly speaking, if you go all the way to infinity, there are all the different ways of doing it. It depends on where you start in the hierarchy, you see. They're all hierarchical hierarchical in the same way that I started, but uh, you could sort of start in different places, and and that makes a difference out of infinity, but as far as finite arrangements are concerned, they're all the same. Now, there are, these are all the fivefold ones, or tenfold, it depends whether you, you can call them either fivefold or tenfold, depending on your rules. I'm not going to make a distinction there. Uh, but there are others, and here we have a 12-fold one. That's a rather nice one, um, made by a Gale and a Nissen. They were, he's Swiss, I'm not sure whether Gale is Swiss. These were, there was a competition actually for the, I thought that the ones that they produced were the nicest ones. These are 12-fold. That's one of them. And uh, they haven't got matching rules, but you can make matching rules. It's a little bit more complicated how to do it. You can't do it with just, I think there are three different shapes here, but you can, uh, you have to have another shape to make, to force the matching rules. It's really a four-tile thing. Here's another version of the same thing. Really rather nice. There are also the eight-fold ones which, uh, Robert Amann and somebody called Beekner produced. um, Very rapid, Amann was very rapid. Martin Gardner had an article on these things and he announced he was going to produce these, something that uh, he hadn't ever shown before. And uh, I don't think he said very much about what they were like. And Robert Amann rediscovered the, the rhombus ones, which is very remarkable, I thought. In less than a month, I suppose. Okay. Now, what do I want to say? Um, Well, sometimes people say, well, you find these things in Islamic patterns, Islamic buildings, and you certainly find a lot of extraordinary looking patterns in Islamic buildings, there's all sorts of symmetries. Here's a nice example here, and you see this part of the wall. I'm not sure I've counted what these ones are. That's tenfold, I think, here, and so on. But they're all limited regions, and there's no rule about how you might go out to infinity. Or if you see a nice pattern of these things, it's almost always the case that there's an evident symmetry to it, that it just repeats itself. And so uh, just having interesting symmetries, I mean, the symmetries don't extend to the whole pattern, they're just local symmetries. So you can have uh, these local symmetries, which are not crystallographic, but the pattern as a whole is a crystallographic thing. One of the more remarkable examples was pointed out by, which to this, no, that's wrong, <laughs> that's it, yes. Um, Paul Steinhardt and, and a Chinese chap, I've forgotten his name now. But anyway, they did try and relate it to the tilings that I had. I think there are some relationships, but, it, but there's no evidence that there was any kind of a, uh, rule that would force non-periodicity. In fact, the examples like the one up there, you can see it actually is, is completely periodic. So, and th- it's, it's less obvious here what's going on. And they have a certain hierarchical aspect. You see they're subdivided, but not in a way that repeats the patterns on the, on the big scale. So, it's not clear whether, that, maybe somewhere in some building, uh, uh, such an example will actually be found of these non-periodic things, but... Uh, uh, I want to show you something else which uh, is a bit different. Somewhat later, but not that much later. 1619, these are pictures done under the instruction of Johannes Kepler, the famous astronomer who discovered the Keplerian orbits, ellipses, and so on. But he also fiddled around with all sorts of things, and he liked polyhedra and. Non, uh, re-entrance one and, and how you fill space with different shapes and so on like that. But he had a page in one of his, his books, Harmonica Bundi, Volume 2, 1619, in which there are all these different, very curious symmetries. Now, my father owned a copy of this book, and I had seen this page some years before finding these <coughs> Uh, Patterns which I've just been showing you, but I wasn't thinking about them at the time. But let me show you something. I'm going to concentrate now on this pattern called AA, that one there. Let's make it a bit bigger. There we are. And now I want to show you something. You see it's made up of pentagons, regular pentagons put together, and then these little holes in them which are decagonal shapes, and these stars, these pentacles. Now, I'm going to try and find the right spot here, which may be a little tricky. Here we are. And look, it fits exactly. Not only does it fit exactly, but in Kepler's picture, he drew an extra little line there for some reason. And that line also fits exactly. Now, what was he doing? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. Uh, I was giving a lecture like this somewhere and somebody in the audience at the end said, yes, there was a letter that Kepler wrote to somebody and he explained what he was doing in his pictures. Um, I said, oh, that's very interesting. Can you find out and let me know? Well, I heard nothing more from her. Um, Various times I've got people to look at Kepler's letters and things and the best they could find were letters that he had written to the person who actually did the drawing. So that was a, he had a, uh, an artist actually to draw these things for him, but were strictly under his instruction. So they were Kepler's pictures, no doubt. I, my guess is that he was probably interested in, certainly interested in face, space filling with, with regular shapes and so on. And crystals, well, people didn't even know really about atoms in those days, but it was one possibility. And I imagine that the idea of uh, crystals being atoms arranged in a regular way was certainly a, a strong possibility. And I suspect that Kepler was also interested in living things and that maybe uh, plants and so on might have had made use of some other symmetries such as the ones in his pictures here. I have no idea, that's pure speculation. There was a time when people were just finding examples of <coughs> what, what were called quasi-crystals, which seemed to have the... Uh, tenfold, fivefold and tenfold symmetries, and then they seem to find some eightfold ones. And then I was visiting Switzerland, this chap, uh, Nissen, who did one of the pictures I showed you earlier, uh, the twelvefold one. He, he and a colleague produced these ones. And the reason he was interested in this was that he claimed to have uh, an alloy which produced Diffraction patterns which seemed to suggest they were 12-fold symmetry. And uh, nobody seemed to believe him And he showed me these things. And I thought, well, they looked fairly persuasive. Look, like they didn't, weren't quite uniform over the whole picture. And then he showed me the little points from the diffraction pattern. These are electrons you shi- shine electrons on and they scatter out at particular angles. And then you see the shapes of the, the uh, little points of light that you get where the electrons hit. And uh, this tells you something of the symmetry. And he showed me this with a 12-fold symmetry, little points. I looked at this, and I started joining them up with little squares of triangles and like that, and I thought, I've seen that picture before somewhere. And I thought, where on earth have I seen that before? And then it dawned on me, here. It's that one. If you put the points of the diffraction pattern on the corners of this arrangement here, here it is a bit bigger, that's the diffraction pattern. Well, there are probably some other points scattered about, but it was, it was that particular pattern. Again, I have no idea what Kepler was doing. I'm sure he didn't know anything about diffraction patterns. And those, but nevertheless, he, he had some deep insights in other ways too, so who knows? I'll just leave you that as a bit of a conundrum. Okay, let's do something a little different here. If I get it, can get it to work, which is not necessarily the case. Here we have, I'm afraid it's, got, it's an old slide, and you'll see they got rather messed up. I must get a new one. But uh, these are rhombuses, which you can probably just about see back there. So it's a nice big pattern of the rhombuses. I can do it with that, can't I? Yeah. I don't need the transparencies. Okay, so that's rhombuses. What's that one? Well, that's rhombuses too, but I think... I can't even see them very well from oh, I can see there's blobs there, but they're little rhombuses. The point about this is that you can put others on top and get nice diffraction patterns. I have to worry about that spot because that's just the light, isn't it? i um, can probably do Never mind. Don't worry about that. Um, I don't know whether I can do this very well here. But you can find... A little place where, oh, there, that's good. see if I can get that spot in the middle now. Find a nice one. That way over there. you see those lines. The lines are where they disagree. And where you don't see a line, that's where they agree. Now, this is where I shall probably fail, but let me try it. Um, I've marked a spot where let's just see. that's not it. Um, I thought I'd marked it. It's hard to see here. Okay. you'll get it right, which which is hard to do, I'm afraid. I think it's best if I twist it a bit more. Hmm. That's confusing, that other one. Ah, it's not working. Uh, Let's try and match my marks. That might help. It's not working very well, is it? It should be just, oh, you can probably just about see it. There's a line right down the middle. And that's, it matches everywhere except along that line. Uh, not very good. I think that's best I'm going to do. You can probably see the line extending from here to here. That line is, is where it disagrees, good degrees everywhere else. You see, that's one of these 99.9 things, if I got it right. <coughs> I think I shouldn't waste too much time on that. It ought to be just about there. I think you just about see it. I should glue them together, and then it, but of course, then it, the effect isn't so. <laughs> I think that's, I, that's the best I'm going to be able to do. I'm sorry about it. I think one trouble also is that these machines well, I shouldn't blame it on the machine. <laughs> it's not quite uh oh, Did you get it? Ah, there you are. <laughs> Sorry it took so long. <laughs> I think perhaps I'll I'll use this other machine. Oh, I have to get it going, don't I? I know how to move the picture, but do I turn it how do I turn it on? Is it that white is it square? No, that's not it. Uh, I'm very stupid at these things. Should I be pressing something? Back, front? Oh, it's over there, of course. <laughs> Perhaps it was there all the time, was it? <laughs> yes. Well, you can see this, actually it hasn't been put up in the building yet, has it? This is a nice poster, this in our old building. I think it's being stored somewhere away, isn't it? Probably. Anyway, it's made up out of little uh, pieces, plastic pieces that were given to me by a mathematician, um, Ron Graham. And some of them were built by, made by some other people. Michael White and his company. And uh, the big one in the middle is the Ron Graham's one. And they're basically kites and darts with uh, the matching rules done by little knobs and things. And it's also coloured in a a very specific way which the colouring is unique up to permutation of the colours. uh, And it produces some nice things if you sort of squint your eye and look at it. Up on the top left we see a nice straightforward kites and darts. On the top right, rhombus one. Bottom left we see the modification which gives you the birds and the relationship to the pentagons as well. So it's a little bit baffling. Right in the middle, there is a a dog, and the dog is not, it's cheating. He's a different shape from the others. But if you have one dog in there, the tiling is completely unique right out to infinity. So you don't have this business about 2 Lf naught there. It's unique. (coughs) Um, And the one thing on the right, with the diffraction pattern, is an actual quasi-crystal. This is an actual material produced by people in Japan. And uh, now you can produce ones that you can actually see. I mean, it's probably only about that big, but you can see it quite clearly. And it's a regular dodecahedron, which is not allowed for a crystal. So it's quite interesting that you can have that. Uh, And there's a bigger picture of the actual quasi-crystal. I think they're called crystals now, so I don't know. I think they have so many properties of crystals that people prefer to call them all crystals. I'm not sure whether I like that or not, but never mind. Um, now, apart from the fact that that's upside down, <laughs> which maybe shouldn't matter, it's a bit, it's on, I hope they're not all upside down. Um, that is uh, the first time these things were ever used in architectural design. That was anywhere, from, well, I hope the others aren't like that. An architectural design uh, on a building, this was the Tokyo a metropolitan University and uh, the architect there wanted to use kites and darts, so you can probably see them, they're a little bit hidden with having all sorts of other marks on top of them, but kites and darts. And uh, he, w- when the thing was assembled, the architect looked at it very carefully and he, f- he found they'd made a mistake and had, they, they had them take it out and put it back correctly, which impressed me a lot. It's completely right, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, it's supposed to have some connection with the shape of Tokyo as well, which I don't know much about, but I think it was rather very nice, nicely done. Okay, that's right way up. This is a rather gaudy-looking building in uh, Melbourne, I think it is, Australia? In Melbourne. Uh, and then where they've used kites and darts all over the front and all over in the inside too, and it's, it's rather an extraordinary place. It's one of the first buildings I know which made use of these things and you can see up on the top right I think that's got the stripes on them that I was showing you (coughs) but it seemed to be pretty accurately done. They've got the stripes on the other ones too, yeah, which you have to match. Now there's a much more sedate version on the ground down here. You see this is just straightforward rhombuses. This is (coughs) in Stony Brook uh, in uh, Long Island, New York. And that's the mathematics building and they wanted to use a a tiling of this kind. But it's just straightforward rhombuses. As you'll find a lot of... See this again, straightforward rhombuses. This is in in Perth in Australia. And uh, I think this is the cosmology centre or something. It's a a very nice popular science place in, in, in Perth and they wanted to use the tilings, rhombus tilings on the floor. Perfectly nicely done. I think the biggest area I've ever seen is, also in Perth, it is in their chemistry building. And again, it's just straight rhombuses. And here we have kites and darts. This is, I think, uh, um, in the United States, uh, Carlton, Carlton University somewhere, yep. which is a, you know, nicely done touch and Darts, with also bringing out some pattern uh, of, with the coloring, which is, which is very attractive. This is the other place, <laughs> St. John's College in Cambridge and this is uh, the entrance to the building. It was called the Penrose Building and I say it's nothing to do with me whatsoever. <laughs> that some architect who designed buildings at St. John's College. Uh, in the, in the 19th century, and it was converted to become the library building, and for the entrance, they wanted to put this door, which swings round, you see. The door is now open, so you can go either side. When it's closed, you can only see half the pattern, and the door swings round, and it's kites and darts, <coughs> perfectly correctly done. And here we have Wadham College, Oxford. This is a pattern which, it's just in front of the the uh, <coughs> in front of the uh, student bar, and it's usually <laughs> filled filled with lots of cigarette stubs and beer stains and so on. But uh, I think it's been reasonably scrubbed down, but not terribly perfectly. Uh, and it is matching rules. Uh, so you, I was with my wife where well, they were laying this thing, and I went to a play at the Playhouse, I think, and. We came back, and, and they were just about finishing the laying down, and I thought, well, I'd better have a look and see what they've done. And so I looked at it, and it looked all right, I thought, but a little bit disturbing. And so I went up on a higher level and looked down on it, and I kept thinking, there's something a bit disturbing about that. And then I realised, right at the edge, one of the workmen had seen you could put another tile in, which would fit all right, but it would fit all right there. But if you kept on going somewhere in the middle of the lawn, you'd find you'd get stuck. <laughs> So I had to have them pull it out, I'm afraid, and, and what's there now is correct, but, uh, but there is this danger, because it is a non-local business. Um, let me move on to... Yes, this is actually a three-dimensional version. This is, I hope, going to appear on a wall. The uh, tiling out the front of our building was financed by, by uh, Andre Stern, Um, very generously and he wanted, hes having a new building made and he wanted to have something in there a bit different so I suggested this three dimensional version. It's just the rhombuses but you see that they're all the same size and shape, the rhombuses, it's just the angle that you see them makes either the fat one or the thin one and it makes this undulating terrain which is quite nice. And here we have our building. So Let me try and say something about this now. Because it is the rhombus tiling, but it's got more to it. And I want to describe, I'm afraid I shut this up, didn't I? There is the rhombus tiling, but you you see more to it there, there's some patterns there. Now, you may remember that when I was showing the um, pattern of pentagons and so on, let's take the bigger version here, you have places where there are these regular decagons and each time you have a regular decagon it's surrounded by a ring of ten pentagons. So I thought maybe you could enhance these rings somewhat by having a a circle going around them. So there you are. Now, that of course doesn't uh, do the same thing to all the pentagons. So let's do something else I'm going to complete these things a little bit by uh, see if I do that you can see that it's really a sort of fattened up version of the the here's the pentacle a bit fattened up and the, and the jesters cap fattened up, and then the pentagons have done funny things at the expense of those. but you can see the relationship to hea- these here because there's the The pentacle, there's the pentacle there, you see, and the. So if I add those extra lines, we sort of retrieved a curvilinear version of the one that we had before. And it would be nice to put those as marks on on some actual tilings. And the tilings, easiest ones to make are the rhombus ones. But if you do that, then you find that the rhombus, some of them are different. You see that rhombus has a different arrangement In the other. So we have to add a few more lines. (laughs) Here we go. And if you do that, then the fat rhombus has everything the same two lines going across each other, and the thin rhombus with two lines across. The pattern itself is now just that. Remember what we had first, which was this. Or second, let me add a few more lines. And we have that arrangement. And so I was rather hoping that that would be the major feature when you see the tiles. And it was suggested that the tiles should have stainless steel arcs. I thought that sounded really nice. And I remember coming back, I think I was at a conference in Edinburgh or somewhere up north. And uh, there were a set of, I think, six tiles in front of the old building. And I came and looked at them. And there seemed to be two things wrong with them. One was that the Stainless steel arcs didn't seem to join on, I mean they joined, but they, but some were bright and some were dark. And the reason was that they were apparently what's called combed, and the combing has a different grain to it. So they said, oh well, we can fix that by polishing instead of combing it. But the other problem was that the tiles looked very different. One was much darker than the other, and that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted them to look fairly similar, so that the pattern of the arcs was what you saw. And then a few days later I came back and they looked, the tiles looked the same. The two different rhombuses looked the same as each other. And I thought, that looks much better. Maybe they've got some different tiles. But it wasn't that at all. The reason was the first day I'd seen them, it had been raining and they were wet. And the second day it hadn't. It was nice and dry. And so we thought, well, that's nice because then you get two different kinds of pattern. When it's dry you see (laughs) The, mainly the arcs, and when it's wet, you can bring out the other patterns. So I thought that's rather nice. Anyway, here we have the building as a whole, well, from that angle. And here we have a sort of shot in front of the main entrance at the back there. And you can see these rings. The, that's the ring of pentagons as it was, now changed into a, a circle. And you have several circles, and you have sort of bigger ones. Going around, I'm not sure whether you can see it very well here. <coughs> Maybe the other, other picture is better for that. Um, yeah, here we are, yeah. So you can see, <laughs> let's just check. I think if you take the, the circle just up there, and then a little bit further out, you find a, a sort of floral pattern. The, of a ten-sided shape, so oh. I thought it might be amusing just to see, you know, how, if you follow the lines and all. Uh, well, there's a, I can give you a conjecture. I don't know if I want to say it's a conjecture or not because I haven't really thought about it much. But, uh, you see, sometimes these patterns always join up in some way. But do they form closed loops? Well, you can see some of them. You see the circle, okay, that's a closed loop. You sometimes see double circles not sure if I can find one there, two like that. That's another shape. Or you can see the the big curvilinear decagon. And you also find a curvilinear pentagon in the right places, which is something I hadn't quite expected, but you see them too. Uh, And so uh, you get closed shapes. But if they cross each other, do you ever get a closed shape? Are those four the only ones you ever get? If you find anything which doesn't belong to one of those sets just, just sort of by inspection the only ones I've found I've never been able to close and they go right off the picture. So there, a conjecture might be that the, those are the only closed loops. That may well be false because I haven't any idea really. This to, is the shape of the tiling's the if you watch it they are. Okay I think that's well, uh, there are a few th- other things I can say, but perhaps people have questions. And I'd better leave it at that. Oh, oh, oh I just, yeah, i will show that. There's one more picture. No, that's just the beginning, isn't it? I thought there was one more picture. Oh, it's got lost. Never mind. No, it just showed what, what they look like when they're wet. But uh, <laughs> unless it's after this. No, that's right the beginning. One of them's got lost. Never mind. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.